If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Remember last week we started a, a, a series within our series that we've already been doing called His Love Never Fails, and we will resume that after Easter. But uh, we've interrupted that time because um, this is the time where people are uh, giving up things for Lent, and, uh, but what we're doing is obtaining promises during this time. And uh, because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, no sacrifice that, that we could ever do could ever measure up to his sacrifice. So we're just going to receive the promises that he sacrificed for. Amen. And last week we talked about the promise of victory. And uh, today we're going to talk about the promise of the Father. Little Johnny, he's not a very good kid. He's always getting in trouble. And his parents told him that the, the neighbors were coming home with a new baby. Now, I've just got to tell you up front, Pastor Everett told me this joke a couple days ago, so if it doesn't go over well, or if it does, he gets the credit. They said, they told little John, the neighbors are coming home today with their new baby, and we're going to go see this baby, and you better be good, little Johnny. He said, okay. Now, we need to tell you something about this baby. Now, this baby doesn't have any years. They're born without any years. Now, we don't want you giving any attention to that at all, Johnny. You understand you can't do that. You just talk about all the other wonderful things about that, but you don't mention that he has no ears. Okay, okay. Are you sure? I'm telling you, you're going to get in bad trouble. I, I, won't, I won't say anything. I won't. So they go over there. The neighbors have made it home. They go over there to the house, and, and they're looking in the crib at this baby, and little Johnny, he goes to work. Oh, look at his little hands. Aren't they just perfect? He's got all of his fingers. Matter of fact, they're long enough. He could probably learn to play the piano at an early age. Oh, look at his feet. They're just perfect and pudgy and soft and got all of his toes. And he's looking over the baby, and he comes up to his face. And he says, what's wrong with his eyes? And the mother kind of panics. She said, his eyes? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with his eyes. He said, good, because he wouldn't have anywhere to hang his glasses. Little Johnny. That has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, but I enjoyed that joke. I thought that was fun. (laughs) Praise God. We just got through, uh, came back this week, had a great week. We took our kids snow skiing, as you can tell. The sun had its way with my face. And uh, I didn't think about, you know, you don't think about the sun burning you in the cold. Or I don't anyway. Maybe you are smarter than me, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume you are. But, you know, if I'm going to the beach or something, I know to put on uh, sunblock, you know. But I didn't think about that when we're going up to this mountain. And Dylan and I both, our, our faces got beat up pretty bad. Uh, my kids, it was their first time to, to ski, so that was a cool experience. And then we finished off the week at a church conference in my pa- at uh, Pastor John's church in Durant, Oklahoma. Had a marvelous time with lots of uh, pastor friends of ours, and Pastor Everett and Miss Nancy were there, and it was great to see them again. Um, but uh, I was thinking about that, that experience in the sun and not being prepared for it and not realizing, you know, the sun's going to burn you whether it's cold or whether it's hot. Sometimes you find out the hard way, but that's an absolute about the sun. But you know what's interesting about that, about the absolutes in life? There's something more absolute than the absolutes, and that is your faith in God. That is your faith in God is more, you know, there are things, there are things on this earth that are absolutes. The scripture says, as long as the earth remains, they will not cease to be. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, 
seed time and harvest. Even though all those things are absolutes, faith is more absolute than any of those laws, than any of those truths. Just ask Joshua if faith is more absolute than absolutes. Does the sun rise, sunset? Well, we say it does. I mean, actually, the earth is rotating, but, you know, we, we say the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. That's an absolute. It happens every day the same way, all the time. It's an absolute. Unless somebody's audacious enough and can believe that, that they, can ex, they can exceed that law through faith in God and say, sun, stand still because I'm still fighting this war and I've got to beat these Amorites, so I need everything to stop. And this guy had the audacity to, to halt the entire solar system as we know it so he could finish his battle. And the scripture says that the sun stayed up in the sky for about a day. Even as absolute as it is, faith is more absolute. A woman who had no right to healing came to Jesus. Jesus made sure everyone knew that I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That is his earthly ministry of teaching and healing was for the Jews and the Jews only. But this woman who was on the outside was not a Jew. She had a, her daughter had a problem. As a matter of fact, she said, my daughter severely demon-possessed. Or the King James says, she's grievously vexed of the devil. Either way, the girl's got problems. And she comes to Jesus and said, will you come heal my daughter? And the scripture says he didn't even answer her a word. He just kept walking. Why? Because he was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she kept on insisting and, and, and driving the disciples nuts. And they finally came to him and they said, will you do something with this woman? She just keeps on crying out. And then she ran to Jesus and she falls down and begins to worship and say, Lord, please help me. And then Jesus said these words, it's not good. Or in one version says, it's not right that I take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. In other words, what he's saying is, it's not good that you get what I came to give to Israel. Is, is he absolutely right? Well, yeah, he better be right. He's the truth, the way, the life. It's absolutely true. You don't get this. It's not good for you to get this. But then she said something that changed everything. She said, true, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And that statement of faith made that which was not good suddenly good. Because faith is more absolute than the absolutes. Jesus told the man, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. How many of you know that we're all, as, uh, the moment you're born on this planet, you will end up dead? It's going to happen unless you're Enoch. Unless you're Enoch. The scripture says, who walked with God and was not for God took him and he did not see death. Wow, is death absolute? Death and taxes. But faith is obviously more absolute than even the absolution of death. That's why... It is the victory that overcomes the world. So as absolute as your situation might look, don't give in to that absolution. There's a higher absolution. It absolutely is more absolute than what the absolute thing is you're looking at. Faith is knowing that you know even when you don't know. Can you receive that today? All right. Well, that was the chips and salsa. Let's get into the 
just name your Mexican meal. <laughs> Enchiladas, she says. I'm a fajita guy. All right, let's do it. Acts chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about the promise of the Father. Promise of victory is ours and the promise of the Father. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, this is Jesus after he's risen from the dead. He's spending about 40 days with his disciples before his ascension into heaven. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now we go to that not many days from now in Acts chapter 2, and it opens up with this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were doing what? Sitting. That means nobody was trying to make anything happen concerning the things of the Spirit. They were just sitting. And the Holy Spirit came in that scenario. This is beautiful. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I've given you this word before. I love this word for utterance, the Greek word for utterance. It's only mentioned one time throughout all the Bible, and it's right here in this verse. And it means not a word of everyday speech, but one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. Not a word of everyday speech, but one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. Now, isn't this just like the wisdom of God? Isn't this just like the wisdom of God? That this is apparently a really marvelous language to speak, one of dignified and elevated discourse. It makes me want to straighten up my jacket a little bit when I think about phrases like that and walk a little taller, dignified and elevated discourse. And it sounds something like this to the mind. Blah, 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 blah. That's dignified and elevated discourse? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is an utterance of the Spirit, not an utterance that is made up by man, conjured up by man, created by man, but one which flows from the Spirit. And I, when I think about that, I think about, God, why did you do that? Why, why would you give this gift of tongues that is so silly sounding? Acts chapter 10, let's run over there for a moment. Now, on, this, on that day in Acts chapter 2, it was the first experience for the church to be filled with the Spirit and to speak in other tongues. It was such a marvelous event and such a marvelous sign that 3,000 people were born again that day, were saved that day through that sign. Because when they were all marveled and they, they stood there confounded and confused and in, amazed that Peter stood up and preached to them and told them what was going on and he preached the gospel to them and they surrendered to Jesus. But none of those people who were saved that day were Gentiles. At that point, the revelation that the gospel would go to all the world outside of the Jewish world still wasn't yet known. Matter of fact, when Jesus told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, in their minds, they only knew that as the Jewish world. 
They never even thought that, that, that Gentiles would be a part of that. Even though the scriptures had said that from time to time, even, even Isaiah had alluded to a light to the Gentiles. But yet, in their minds, that just didn't compute. Until Acts chapter 10, when Peter has this vision, and God tells him, don't longer call common what I have cleansed. And he tells him to go to this house, to, to go into a Gentile's house by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a good man, but he wasn't saved. Had a lot of good things to say about Cornelius. He prayed to God always. He gave generously to the poor. Uh, I mean, he looked, he looked very righteous on the outside. He taught the, his whole household to fear God. He was a devout man. But he, but, but he still would have died in sin because even though he was doing all those marvelous things, the truth of the scripture tells us that faith, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. No matter how good you act, no matter how good you do, if you don't ever believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all for nothing. And that's, that's, what, that's what Cornelius' trouble was. And so God, but he did get God's attention through all of this. His trying, or as Paul says, that he was groping for God the best he knew how. So God sends Peter there to preach to them. And we pick up in verse 43 where Peter begins to preach to Cornelius and all of his house. And he says to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Isn't that a beautiful message? Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. It's the, I love the glorious gospel. Whoever, whoever. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, those Jews, that is, who had come with Peter, believed were, uh, who believed were astonished as Medias came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. See, they didn't see the Gentiles in this deal. Now they're amazed, saying, oh my gosh, those pagans are speaking in tongues now. Watch. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Oh, wow. They heard them speak with... So in the, it's interesting that in the early stages, in the infant stages of the church... In the very early stages of the Jews' salvation experience was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in the very infant stages of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God, before they ever even uttered a prayer, they didn't utter a prayer. That messes with my upbringing a little bit because I was taught that you had to stand and you had to confess Jesus as Lord in front of everybody or you had to fill out a card or you had to pray a certain prayer. You had to invite Jesus into your heart and then you were saved. But this didn't even happen at Cornelius' house. They're listening to him preach the gospel, and the next thing they do, they start speaking in tongues so that God would make sure we all understand that it's not by works at all. It is by grace through faith. That They heard the gospel, and their hearts lit up in faith, and God said, that's all I need. Here's the Holy Spirit. Because tongues are a sign to unbelievers, but they are a, it is a sign that follows believers. It's impossible for them to speak in tongues if they're not believers. This sign follows believers. You know, Peter and them, they didn't even question it. They didn't go, oh, I wonder if that's really the Holy Ghost. Is that some kind of witchcraft they're doing there? I don't know what's going on. They didn't even question it. They didn't question whether that was Holy Ghost or not. They said, hey, the same, they're having the same experience that we had. Why? I, I look at that, these things and I, I have to ask questions. I, I, and I think that's important when you're studying the Bible that you ask questions. Why then? Why, God? Why do you want us? Why is that important that we speak in tongues? It is extremely important. I do teach on this and will continue to teach on it because I believe it's vital for the Christian walk. We need every advantage that we 
can have in this world. And this is certainly an advantage. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go. Now, I'm trying to put myself in the disciples' feet, shoes for a second. When he, when he said, it's to your advantage that I go, I can imagine they're thinking, how can that be to our advantage that you leave us? How can that be advantageous to us? He said, because if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But when he comes, oh man, it's going to get good. When he comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. Those things that I, told, that I taught you, he's going to bring those continually to your remembrance. He's going to testify of me. He's going to be that very present help with you. He's always going to be in you, that inner witness all the time. He's always with you in every situation, every day. When you go to sleep at night, he's there. When you wake up in the morning, he's there. He's there all the time. This will give you an advantage for every situation that you walk into in life, every challenge that you face, every mountain that you face off, the Holy Spirit will be there to help you. He is that counselor that will never leave you. This is why this is an advantage. Me being with you is one thing, but me being in you is a whole nother thing. A whole nother, is that right? A whole nother thing. Forgive my chopping up of the English language. You know why this is important? Because this is the pattern of God throughout scriptures that he changes, has people say certain things so that their life will go in the right direction. It started with Abram. And we see where God told him to say, now, no, your name's not Abram anymore. Now your name is Abraham. No longer will you be called Abram father or exalted father. Now you will be called father of a multitude. Abraham, if you're going to experience what I want to give you, you're going to have to confess what I tell you. You're going to have to proclaim it with your mouth even though it doesn't make any sense. God is telling this. Let me remind you, God's telling Abraham that he's a father of a multitude at the age of 99 with a son that was not born from his wife. That's all Abraham had. God said, I'm changing everything concerning your life. Your life is going to expand and increase Generations upon generations. As a matter of fact, you will be a father of multitudes of nations, and in you, all the nations of the earth, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is how big your life is, Abraham. So you need to get this in your mouth and start saying what I am saying. Call yourself what I call you, even though everything in the natural is contradicting it. And Romans 4 says, Abraham, in hope, Contrary to hope, in hope, believe. He had no natural reason to hope, being almost 100 years old. And then a 90-year-old wife, they had no real natural reason to hope to have a family, to start having babies. But God so healed that man. I mean, he got so healed. How healed did he get? He got so healed. He got so healed. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate you. <laughs> that even after Sarah died, Abraham marries a woman named Keturah and has six more kids. And dies at the age of 175 years old. When at the age of 99, he ought to be heading toward the cemetery. God did something marvelous in him because he believed God. 
And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And God showed Abraham that these circumstances do not dictate your life. Let me dictate it. Let me show you how to live at a higher level that exceeds natural law, that overcomes circumstances, that is more absolute than the absolutes. Changed his name. So Abraham took God at his word. God told Jacob, no longer will your name be Jacob or supplanter. Now your name will be Israel, which means prince with God. I'd say that's kind of obnoxious sounding. I had a meeting with God today. Now I want all of you to call me Prince with God. I'm sure that Jacob got some looks from folks. And if he or Abraham were here today, we might try to medicate these guys. Diagnose them with dementia, multiple personalities, whatever. Because it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But they got God's word in their mouth so that they could live in God's reality. And we know by what the scripture teaches us. Let's go over to James chapter 3. What the scripture teaches us is that your life follows your words. Your words are the building material Whew. that construct your reality. You might not like what you've built. You might not like what you've done. And there's a good chance that you are where you are if you're in some kind of trouble and you're in a place where you don't like because of the words that you've allowed to come out of your mouth. You've got to understand that you're created in the image of God and your words carry much weight. So you can check. But the good news is you can change your situation. Change your house. Amen. Begin to build your life with a good confession. Christ is our high priest of our confession of faith. Hallelujah. Look at James chapter 3 for a moment, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble, listen to this. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. In other words, what he said, if you can control your tongue, you can control your life. All right? If anyone does not stumble in words, he's perfect. Wow. Verse 3, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So now he's going to give us, he's given us a couple of illustrations about how the tongue works concerning your life. All right? It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Now, look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even has lots of things working against it, that little bitty rudder on the back will turn that massive, massive vessel. Next, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. This is, you're all going to be very encouraged by the time we get through this verse. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, I've lived long enough in my life to, under, to know the language of this verse. Said lots of things I regret. 
spoke before I thought. Said things to people I love, hurtful things that I wish I hadn't said. Said things from the pulpit I wish to God I hadn't said. Said things to my friends. Things to people I don't even like I wish I hadn't said. And it's easy to do it, isn't it? I mean, can we just be honest? It's easy to be nasty. It's just easy to just vomit negative words and negative thoughts onto people and just talk about all, everything that's wrong, everything that's going bad, and all the ill feelings that we have. And that's why the Scripture also teaches us in James to be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, therefore slow to wrath. But man, we get that backwards a lot, don't we? We are quick to talk and slow to listen. And we've trained ourselves that way. I'm not against social media, but I think it's the weakness of it. There's a lot of talking going on. We've got lots of ways to express ourselves in pictures and tweets and Facebook. We've got lots of ways to just, ah, just tell, talk, 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 talk. Hmm? Be quick to listen. Slow to, listening is a, is a dying art. Quick to listen, slow to speak. You husbands and wives know what I'm talking about, don't you? If you stumble in your words, you stumble in your walk. But if you control your, your tongue, you control your life. So if this is true, what this is saying, and I think it is, it's the Scripture, all of these things, that the tongue is so set among our, our members that it defiles the whole body, if that's true, then the opposite must be true as well. That if you're able to defile your whole body with your tongue, then you also must be able to purify your body with the words that come out of your mouth. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Just goes on to tell us just how negative that tongue in our mouths is. No man can tame the tongue. I found that to be true too. I mean, even though I've, I've confessed the word and said things, I, I, I still say things I shouldn't say. Am I the only guy in here that's like that? You guys all perfect in here in word? I mean, you can, look what he says, look what he says. I got to go on, I got to go on. Verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father that as we come to church on Sunday morning and we're praising worshiping, and with it we curse men. Hmm? Come and we have great church, but on the way out of the parking lot, someone jumps in front of us and we give them the single-digit wave. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Listen, verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not be so. They shouldn't happen. Well, what are we going to do about it if we can't tame the tongue? Well, you got to, first of all, you got to stop saying, I can't help it. I'm just going to speak my mind. Get that out of your vocabulary. Nobody wants to hear what's on your mind, especially if you start off like that. There's a good chance you're not going to compliment people following that phrase. I've never heard anybody say, I'm about to tell it like it is. I've never heard them go, you sure are beautiful. <laughs> no, it's always negative. 
It's never good, never uplifting. So we need to not just speak our minds. We need to control our tongue. Now, you can't tame the tongue, but you can control it one day at a time. Because it's a wild animal. It's a wild animal in your, in your mouth. You have a zebra in your mouth. You do. You ever, anybody ever see the movie Racing Stripes? Came out in 2005, little zebra that, that won the horse race, you know, which is impossible, but they made it possible in the movies. Well, they had to use several zebras for the set because, because zebras are crazy. They cannot be domesticated like a horse. So they used all kinds, some black ones with white stripes and some white ones with black stripes. And they had these zebras trained for these different parts because the, these guys, these trainers, as well as good as they are with these animals, with these zebras, they know that when that zebra goes to sleep that night, he's going to wake up tomorrow forgetting everything that he just got trained for. And he's just as wild as he was before they ever put a saddle on him. So a zebra can be broke, can be trained, can be controlled one day at a time. So is that zebra in your mouth. Can be controlled one day at a time. It's never going to want to do what you want it to do. It is always going to be wild. It's always going to want to be negative no matter what because it's set on fire of hell. But God has given us this unique gift, this very unique gift called the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues by utterance of the Spirit to help us with our nasty tongues. And he's done it in such a way that he's caused our spirit to be able to pray by utterance of the Holy Spirit and use that very same thing that spits out venom to unlock mysteries, the mysteries of God. I don't know about you, but I need help with my tongue. And God brings help to us by the Holy Spirit. Go to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. I won't spend too much more time, but I want to just encourage you today. I, I'm, I'm here to help you, and I, I want you to understand. I want to help you just be fervent in your prayer language. If you're, if you're here and you're baptized with the Spirit and you speak in tongues, now let me ask you a question. I asked the earlier service this. How many of you believe that, those of you that do speak in tongues, how many of you believe that you just do it way too much? Okay, nobody raised their hand in the other service too. How many of you believe that you could do it more? All of us do. All of us feel that way. Could pray in the Spirit more. But you have to make your tongue do it because it's not going to, it's just not going to want to do that. It's just not, your body's not going to say, you know what, you ought to just pray in the Spirit. I mean, you're not going to just have that natural urge to pray in tongues. You got to have to make it happen. Make it happen by your choice, by your will. Some of you might have grown up in the same kind of situation I was in. It, everybody always blamed the Holy Spirit for stuff like that. They spoke in tongues that the Holy Spirit came down and grabbed a hold of that tongue, and boy, they just couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit just got all over them. So I, I kind of was waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down and just do that to me. Right? And just waiting for an experience rather than understanding that this is by my will. God made it my choice to use the gift. Here's the gift, now use it. I can pray in the Spirit whenever I want to. Don't wait for a feeling. I don't have to wait for goosebumps. I don't have to wait for the, for the keyboard to finally play the right note. 
I don't have to wait to be in the, the right kind of moody situation with dim lights. And I love all that. And I love the music and all that. But I don't have to wait for that. Open my mouth and just start speaking in tongues. Because a gift is not something that you work for. A gift is something you simply receive. And he's the promise of the Father. And this gift is from God. You open the present anytime you want to do it. It's beautiful. Romans chapter 8 says this, verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. He helps in our weaknesses. Verse 25 says, if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That is, we don't see what we're hoping for. We have this confident expectation that out there in the future, I see it. Like as Heather was giving us that, that great illustration today about imagining the bigger thing, dreaming big, and, and believing that it can only be accomplished with God's help. Dream so big that it's going to take God to get it done, Right? That's faith. That's faith. Looking out there with this, and we, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We, we look forward to it. We see how we, we want our life, and we see the desires of our hearts out there, and we have this expectation, and we wait for it. Here, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our That blesses me. That, that helps us understand that God is on our side. He helps us in our weakness, just like we hope for what we don't see. The Spirit has a hope for us. God's not expecting you to screw up. He's expecting you to get stronger. He's expecting you to grow up, to mature, to get better, to increase. He has a hope for you, helps you in your weakness. And the specific weakness he's talking about is this. We don't know what we should pray as we ought. I found that to be true. I know lots of Scripture, and I pray lots of scripture, but I found myself many times not knowing what to pray. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I found this to be true. The Bible is true. But this happened because of Adam. I heard my dad talking about this this past weekend at his conference. Really awesome. Adam heard God after he sinned. God came walking and said, Adam, where are you? Man's sin did not keep men from being able to hear God. Adam heard him. What man's sin did was, is it caused man to not know how to talk to God anymore. Think about what Adam said. God said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I was afraid. Af Why are you talking like that, Adam? When you're afraid. Cain, did he hear God? You better believe Cain heard God. He killed his own brother, and yet he heard the voice of God loud and clear. If, if that's true, ladies and gentlemen, you can hear the voice of God, especially as spirit-filled believers. You can hear God. What we need to work on is how to talk back to him. How do we, Cain didn't even know how to talk. God says, where's your brother? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Didn't know how to talk to God. The disciples who walked with Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. You don't know how to pray? Peter, James, and John, you don't know how to pray. I mean, how long you got to be with this guy? Don't know how to pray? Don't know how to pray. Paul says it here. We don't know what to pray as we are. But the Spirit helps us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need it active in our life. That's why we need to pray in the Spirit. Because watch what happens. Look at verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. The Spirit, how many of you believe the Holy Spirit knows how to pray? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gl I'm glad that he knows how to pray. He is God and that he prays for me. God prays for me. Jesus prays for me. The Holy Spirit 
prays for me. How does he do that? Through that utterance of the Spirit. So when you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is praying the will of God. He's saying, because he, he sees things you don't see. He knows things you don't know. His thoughts are higher. So that it taps you into God's knowledge about a situation that you don't have, know how to pray about, but the Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on. As a matter of fact, he can be helping you in your body and you don't even know. You don't even know something might even be wrong and the Holy Spirit can start talking to God about that thing. And fix you just like that. One of the words, uh, and in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll look at it in just a moment. Let's go ahead and go over there, Kayla. 1 Corinthians 14 says, who prays in a tongue edifies himself. One of the words for edify there in the Greek is repair. Repair, repairs himself. Wow, that's awesome. There's healing in it. There's healing in praying in the, in the Holy Spirit. It's such an advantage that we have. We've got to get over sometimes the weirdness of it or just, just the inactivity and be active in it and be proactive in praying in the Spirit. Think about the advantages of it. He prays according to the will of God. And the Scripture teaches us when we pray according to the will of God, guess what happens? We get our prayers answered. Hello. That makes me want to talk in tongues more. And if that, if that is the will of God, if he's praying the will of God, I want that. And here's, here's the beautiful thing. Verse 28, and I think verse 28 can stand out all by itself, but it is pretty much predicated on these other verses because it starts off saying, and we know that all things work together for what? Good to those who love. Why? Why do we know that? Because when the Spirit prays, He prays the will of God. And guess what the will of God is? Good for you. I'm thankful for this bilingual advantage that we have. And we don't know what to pray. The moment we pray in the Spirit, we know what to pray. And when we pray in the Spirit, we pray the will of God every time. Yes. Look, at, look at 1 Corinthians 14. I'm almost through. Are you still with me? Yes. Hallelujah. When you pray in the Spirit, you unlock these glorious, glorious mysteries. Remember, it's the, not a word of everyday speech, but one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. It's powerful. Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe. One of those signs is they will speak in new tongues. All right? It's a sign that you are a believer. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Did you catch that? He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. Not even himself, I think he should have put there. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Wow. Or the secrets of God. This is powerful. So a couple of things here. One, you talk, it's another way to talk to God. And number two, you speak mysteries, the mysteries of God. Um, and then next, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Well, this is good. So if we need anything in this life right now, we need edification, all right? Because we have a world, a world system that we're continually resisting and going up against. We need to be edified. We need to be built up. And this is one way to do it. Jude said it like this. Build, but you, beloved brethren, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Build yourself up. Edify yourself. Strengthen yourself when you pray in the Spirit. Amen. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Wow, isn't that interesting? So this isn't you making up words then. This isn't you making up words. This is your spirit at work. But my understanding is unfruitful. There we go. That, and we can know. How many of you pray in, pray in the Spirit here? All right, how many of you pray in other tongues? So keep your hand up for just a moment. <clears throat> how many of you, as you pray in tongues, have found that your mind will wander? Still, you still got your hands up. That's good. So I, I, I'm talking to people that, that experience the same kind of things I do because I tell you what, uh, it can be difficult sometimes <laughs> to pray in the Spirit and your mind start wondering and just thinking about crazy stuff, right? Just As I'm speaking to you, I, it's impossible for my mind to wonder because I'm actually having to construct these words and all my energy is going into communicating to you, so my mind is engaged in what I'm saying. But when I pray in the Spirit, my mind just goes loopy. Which tells me, this ain't coming from you, Eric. This is coming from somewhere else. This is the Spirit of God giving your spirit utterance and giving you the words to say. Hallelujah. And apprehending that tongue set on fire of hell and declaring the things of God. That's encouraging to me. I used to get discouraged in it. I used to feel like such a terrible Christian because my mind would be off wandering somewhere else while I'm praying in the Spirit. And I would try to make my mind think about holy things. So I could feel better about myself. I'd try to imagine Jesus sitting next to the Father and try to quote Revelation while I'm doing it. Like, oh, his eyes are flames of fire. His hair is like wool. His feet are like brass. He, I try to see it because I felt like I just wasn't doing it justice if I was praying in the Spirit and my mind was thinking about a double cheeseburger. But instead of being discouraged, Christian, you ought to be encouraged at that moment. Because then you can know that's not coming from me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's my spirit praying. Hallelujah. And when my spirit's praying, it's declaring the will of God. It's declaring the mighty works of God. And my life is going in a good direction as a result because it's following the words that I'm saying. Hallelujah. Now verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? And this is what Paul's saying. He said, tongues isn't to men, tongues is to God. So if you're standing in church and if I just were to all of a sudden break out and speak in tongues to you, guess what? You're going to go, okay, don't understand a word that guy's saying. How are you going to say amen or how are you going to be blessed if I do that? How you, and, and look what he says about praying in tongues, at your giving of thanks. That apparently when you pray in the Spirit, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's powerful. How can he say amen at your giving? Since he doesn't understand what you say. All right? Are you catching this? Now, let's go down. Uh, uh, actually, let's go back to 14 again. Sorry. Back to four. I'm almost through. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Okay, before we go to the next verse, it opens up. The next verse opens up with these words. What is the conclusion then? If, I'm, if my spirit prays and my understanding is unfruitful, then what is the conclusion? What will I do about that? And sad to say, so much of the body of Christ comes to this conclusion. Well, I'm not going to do it then. I'm not doing it. If I don't understand it, 
Why would I do something I don't understand? Apparently tongues isn't for me. Why would I do that? That's the conclusion. If I can't get it, if I can't grasp it, I'm not doing it. And they rob themselves of this gift because if they can't understand it, then it's not worth anything to them. Can you understand the virgin birth? Can you wrap your mind around that? You swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. Why do you stop here? Get weird and stay weird. Look at verse 15. What is the conclusion there? I will pray with the Spirit. And I will pray with the understanding. In other words, I'm going to do all of it. That's the conclusion. I'm going to pray how I know how to pray. And I'm also going to pray how my Spirit knows how to pray. My gosh, I'm going to take advantage of that advantage. I'm not going to leave one out for the other just because my mind can't comprehend it. Praise God, I'm going to do both. And a matter of fact, I'm going to sing in the Spirit and I'm going to sing in the understanding. I'm doing all of it. I will. Look at what he says. I will pray. I will also pray. I will sing. I will sing. What is he saying? It's according to your will. Not waiting on an experience. Not waiting on the Shekinah to come down. Y'all are like, what is the Shekinah? It's a cloud of glory. When I was growing up, we always talked about Shekinah glory. Waiting for this cloud to show up. We just make it here now. We just make the cloud come in through that fog machine. We just force. <laughs> you know, as I grow up, I'm like, why were we looking for a cloud? I don't understand that. Why was that such a big thing? We're waiting for the cloud. Look at it. <laughs> and then it says in verse 22 therefore tongues are a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who believe wow how is it that we've talked ourselves out of the church has talked itself out of tongues in the name of being evangelistic when tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Are we smarter than the Bible? Or do we have doubts? And maybe we need to fix those doubts. Now I know every listen, I know this stuff has gone has before gone wild and wacky. I've been in those services. I know. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. Doesn't mean we don't pray in the Spirit just because it's been done wrong. People preach the gospel wrong, but we preach the gospel anyway. We don't just not do it just because some people have abused it and been ignorant in it. No, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it Bible experience. All right? Now, some of you might can relate to me that when you're in, in church, that when we used to have tongues and interpretation a lot. Every week, probably, when I was. In church, every week, seemed like every service there was tongues and interpretation. Someone would stand up, blah, 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 yabba, dabba, do, and they'd sit down, and then somebody would give the interpretation. And the interpretation, 99.9% .9 of the time, was this my children. And, they, and then they speak King James. 
That was amazed me. God speaks King James. How I love thee, my church. Thou, I'm like, wow. But it's always to men. How is the interpretation of a language that is to God to men? We robbed ourselves. Because if you're just going to prophesy after tongues, can we skip the first step? Let's <laughs> just skip the tongue. What's the point? Just prophesy. There must be something special about the interpretation then that separates it from prophecy. And he says, Paul says, it's giving thanks. When they heard them speaking in their own language in Acts chapter 2, they heard them magnifying God. What's wrong with that being the interpretation? If the, if the prayer is to God, why isn't the interpretation to God? We're a bunch of goofballs. Huh? I'm not, even, I'm not saying that the prophecy was wrong. I'm just saying it was out of order. Let's get the real deal. And you know what? When I taught on this, when I taught our church, because we were doing it regularly, when I taught our church the Bible way, they stopped doing it. I can't explain why, but I'm kind of happy they did until we get it right. And then I got accused of not, not, not being Holy Ghost enough. Not Holy Ghost enough. And like, that's the pinnacle thing. If you don't have tongues of interpretation, you're obviously not a Holy Ghost church. Really, then the, then the churches in Galatia must not have been Holy Ghost churches because Paul never said anything to them, never said anything to the Ephesians, never said anything to the Philippian church, never said anything to anybody but that stinking Corinthian church. If that's the pinnacle, then all these other churches are missing out. And Paul had to bring order to it. Another, another thing that we used to blame on the Holy Ghost was, <laughs> was, was you can't put time constraints on the Holy Spirit. So the longer the services were, the more powerful, the more spiritual we were. Where did we get that in the Bible? It's not in the Scripture. You can't, you can't box the Holy Spirit in. Well, Paul didn't have any problem to it. Let there be two or three at most. There have to be two or three at most. Everybody doesn't have to speak in tongues. And, and Paul is talking about, every, they were taking turns speaking in tongues, not corporate praying in tongues. That's actually the Bible way to do it. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. They all spoke in tongues together, and 3,000 people were saying, I would say that was a great sign for the unbelievers. In Cornelius' house, they all spoke in tongues together. What was happening in the Corinthian church and why he had to bring correction was they were just going one at a time. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Sit down, blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine? And he said, if people come in and they're unbelievers, won't they say that you're mad? Yeah, I, as a believer, would say they are mad. Can't imagine an unbeliever. But Paul sets this thing in order in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a powerful, verse, powerful chapter of Scripture. And then he ends it by saying, hey, don't forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Speak in tongues, but do it right. Do it where the church receives edification. Do it where the lost will all of a sudden get a hunger. Something, they'll, 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 it'll be a sign. I don't know how that's a sign to them, but somehow, somehow when we do it God's way, somehow it touches the unbeliever. Peaks an in interest. I don't know. It just says it's a sign. However a sign does, gets their attention. Huh? So I want to encourage you, pray in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit more often than you do. Let your, tongue be guide, let your tongue be guided by the Spirit of God, therefore guiding your life to be led by the Spirit of God. Paul says if you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. 
Since you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit too. This is one way to do it. Walking in the Spirit is by continually praying in the Spirit and unlocking those mysteries, edifying yourself. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I want us to take just a couple of minutes. John, if you'll come up. And those of you that do pray in the Spirit, I want to just take a couple of minutes and let's just do this together. Let's just pray in the Holy Spirit. Just lift your hands to heaven. If you don't pray in tongues, pray how you know how to pray. Just worship God, all right? We're here together to just magnify God. We're here to bless His holy name. And if you're here today and you pray in the Spirit, let your voice be heard. Let's just lift our voices together and pray right now. Just lift your voice. Just lift your Let's unlock those mysteries. Edify yourself even right now. Hallelujah. Let the sign come on today. Hallelujah. of living water flowing from your belly. You know, the moment you receive Christ into your heart, His Spirit comes and dwells in you. John chapter 4 says it's a fountain springing up unto everlasting life. But then when you receive the baptism of the Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, it becomes a river that flows out of you. It's like whenever you're saved, you get this amazing reservoir of power resident on the inside of you. And speaking in tongues is just putting a hydrant, a a pipe into the water and turning the hydrant on. Releasing that power through your tongues. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It is this marvelous gift. Today, if you're here and you've never experienced the baptism of the Spirit, I will be up here after the service. And if you'd like to receive this gift, it's free to you from God. And we're going to lay hands on you. You're going to speak in tongues today if that's what you desire to do. And if you already do, I want to encourage you. Grow in it. Grow in it. Grow in it. That untamable tongue wants to take over. You control that thing. All right? Give in to the Spirit. Father, thank you now for your blessing upon your people. Father, I thank you. We thank you for the glorious gospel that has come to us, this message that saves men's lives. That message is Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose. God raised him from the dead three days later. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you for the helper who is with us always, 
the Spirit of God who guides us into all truth. We thank you for this language, this gift that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards of this language, to be mindful of it, to practice it regularly, Lord, to control our tongue, Lord, so that we'll remember the power of it, God, to know that it's the will of God that we are praying. It's mysteries we're unlocking. We're building ourselves up. It's all good, positive, powerful things. Lord, help us to stay mindful of that, to not get caught up in the busyness of life and just trying to figure everything out by our own strength and our own knowledge, but Lord, to unlock the knowledge of God through this language of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, and Lord, we know that all things truly do work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Your blessing is on your people as they leave today, just as they've been blessed in their coming in. I thank you, Lord, that no evil shall befall your people. No plague will come near their dwelling. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all other ways. The precious blood of Jesus cleanses them and covers their lives. No weapon formed against them will prosper. No evil shall befall them, and no plague shall come near their dwelling. They will go forth with joy and be led forth in peace. And I pray as the Apostle Paul prayed over them that grace and peace be multiplied to your people from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you guys very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11 and Wednesday evenings at 7 and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.